Thank y'all for tuning in, surviving Portsmouth. Um, this week's guest man, we have somebody who took a different route than normal that we see in Portsmouth, man. He went out, believed in himself, betted on himself, leaped out with faith, and started pursuing an acting career. I seen his growth, not saying I was there. Side by side, but I watch his growth from a distance, man. From from being an upperclassman at Norcom to starting to pursue his acting career, from arguably being one of the greatest Vine stars, switching to Instagram and starting in major roles in different series or movies. Um. I want to say we have Melvin Grigg up here today, man. What's good? What's up? What's up, bro? All right, man. Let, let, let's go to the beginning, man. Where are you originally from? Uh, out of Baba. I was at, I lived in out of Baba until like, like 96. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then I moved to London Oaks. All right. And out of Baba used to be jumping as a kid. Yeah, yup. Yeah, I I played baseball out there, uh, or t-ball. I was young, I was like eight, but it was always shit going on. Like block parties, my cousins stayed right behind me. I had some other cousins stayed in the back, and that shit was so big. Everybody lived out there. You can get everybody. Um, yeah, it was it was dope. Um, I always tell everybody, man, like you related to somebody who related to somebody, and if you ain't related to that person, you still related it somehow. Yeah. And um, but you wouldn't think about it the way it is, cause like I always tell people, Portsmouth is like the smallest of uh, the seven cities, but one of the most violent cities out of the seven. Yeah, cities. yeah. I, uh, now I agree. I be telling people, to, I be telling people too, cause a lot of people don't. If you ain't from there, you don't know what Portsmouth is. But if you from there, you know what Portsmouth is like. You know, coming up, you go to a club somewhere in Virginia Beach, and they shout out Portsmouth. Everybody from Portsmouth be repping hard, and everybody else be kind of looking like, okay, okay, like everybody respect it. But it's it's for that reason. It's so small because it ain't no reason to go to Portsmouth if you ain't from Portsmouth. Like it ain't nothing there. You got to cross the bridge a lot of the times if you coming from Norfolk or Virginia Beach or a tunnel or something. And, and it's like a lot of people in it really don't leave it. So it's like you kind of stuck in this hub, and it's a lower uh, economic hub where it's like a lot of people ain't really eating. Cause it ain't really no money nowhere except like the shipyard. So it's just like a survival of the fittest. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like that's what, what kind of drive the balance for the most part, just a lack of opportunity and a lack of uh, just hope to do anything more. It's just like, like growing up out of Auburn and, uh, and London Notes, I ain't never know what I wanted to be. Cause I ain't never seen nothing more. The only thing you see is like, I mean, niggas hustling up. Uh, or that one, uh, or the people that work good jobs, it is people that work good jobs, but they ain't living that type of life, or they ain't kind of seen in the same perspective as somebody who out there, you know, hustling, they they, they flashy, and they get respect in the streets and whatever. It, it just ain't looked at the same. Mm -hmm. All right, so, man, you touched on a little bit of it, man. Let, let's talk about growing up, though, man. You mentioned how um, certain people has certain jobs, but you don't see that. What you see is the drug dealers, the bootleggers, and all this. Growing up, like, what was your perception of Portsmouth? I mean, it's, it's all, looking back at it, you got a perspective, because you could you could compare it to other stuff that you've seen. Mm -hmm. But growing up, a lot of the times, Portsmouth is all you ever really know. Like, I had never really, you know, every now and then I go somewhere, but Portsmouth is all I ever knew, so I ain't had nothing to compare it to. So it ain't like, even though you might look at it as like, oh, you grew up in the hood or you grew up poor or whatever, you don't know because everybody around you in the hood, everybody around you poor. So it ain't like, I can't look at it and say like, I had a bad, bad childhood because when you look back at it, it was fun. Like summer nights, everybody out and you might be in the hood, but it's like a community. Your, your parents, everybody on the, on the porch just chilling, y'all out there playing, catching, catching, um, Goddamn lightning bugs and shit, just 
No, I mean it was fun. Um, so it, it ain't until you really get older and look back and you feel like you was at a disadvantage. But I feel like it really gives you an advantage in life because you're more appreciative appreciative of shit once you get older. And plus, you kind of got more of a survival instincts, and you you tougher too. Mm-hmm. But just having to grow up in that shit. All right, all right. So let's let's. Let's fast forward to, let's say high school, because uh-huh. middle school you growing, like you said, elementary, middle school you growing up, you know but you don't know. Yeah, you just you just living life. But high school is usually where that age where you start recognizing, uh, this person over here, this person over here, this person does this, that person does that, and you also find yourself in high school, pre find yourself. Right. So when you get to Norcom, what did you realize about Portsmouth? Because now. You at a school where you got Churchland, downtown, and Capital Mountain under one. In the school, yeah. Funny story. At first, bro, I did not want to go to Northam because, like, like you said, I'm from London Notes, and around this time in middle school, London Notes was beefing with Prentice because, mm-hmm. like, nigga, uh, Peanut had killed Quinte. Like, yeah, nigga, go hunt map. You, uh, our buses, the Prentice Park bus and the London Notes bus, we ain't eat breakfast. Cause we'll go through the um, we'll have to go through the gym and go through the metal detectors every morning. Like that's how, like that's how much tension was there. So I moved from London Notes the summer before high school, and I moved to Victory Gardens, which was like, um, it was on Victory Boulevard, um, closer closer to Chesapeake County by Crowder. Um, So I moved over there. So now I was on for Norcom. And I knew Norcom right down the street from Prentice. I'm like, man, these niggas gonna be jumping me every day, bro. I'm not <laughs> trying to go there. I'm not trying to go there. But uh, so I had put in a, uh, I tried to get transferred to go to Wilson. I really wanted to go to church and that's why all my homies and everybody was going. But I ended up just going to Norcom and that shit was good. Like I won't even want nobody tripping on me. I was I was small, I wasn't that much involved or nothing. So it, it was all good. But as far as learning myself back to your question, um, I always had like a hustler's instinct. Um, I sold shit when I was in elementary school. I sold candy. I sold video games. I sold water balloons, all type of shit. In middle school, I had like a whole candy operation where we would use the fundraiser boxes so you don't get in trouble because you can't sell your own candy. But I go to the store and buy candy in bulk and have it in the fundraiser boxes. And I had different people selling candy for me and it, and I paid them off a commission at the end of the week. And like I was really always trying to find ways to make money. And in high school, I really just kind of honed in on that too. I, I would flip cars. I I remember my own. I had bought like 60 pair of fake Air Force Ones from China. And at first I was just selling them to the homies and then I started selling them to the corner stores. And uh, just always trying to find ways to make money. And I feel like that that heightened in high school for, for a few reasons. One of them being, shit, you remember me in high school? I was small as fuck. Like I was, mm-hmm. like I literally- yeah, I literally did not hit puberty until after high school. So mind you, like, just imagine being in a 12-year-old body for like six years. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was me. So it's like a lot of shit. Like, I wasn't, I wasn't girl crazy like all my homies just because I hadn't developed yet. Like, I ain't had a testosterone going through me that made me just want to, like, smack everything running. So I ain't had that interest. I'm on... I, I was so small, I really couldn't compete in a lot of the sports. I could wrestle and stuff because it's a weight class and like play tennis and shit like that because it, mm-hmm. it ain't depending on size. But a lot of it made me kind of take a step back and just kind of focus on things outside of this shit that would typically be distractions in high school. Like I avoided a lot of the distractions because I just hadn't really developed and, and matured into, into a, a real teenager throughout high school. and. At some point, like then, it felt like, like what the fuck? I thought I was gonna be like Gary Coleman. Mm-hmm. Like, it kind of <laughs> made me exclude myself from a lot of shit and be introverted. But um, looking back at it now, it was a blessing because, I mean, who I would like once that happened, once I did, like you know, hit puberty and stuff, it hit through college, and I was like, <laughs> I'm happy it ain't happened in high school because yeah. I don't know if I would have graduated because, like, my focus was all over the place. Like, mm-hmm. you just really, you know what I mean, those, that point before and after you you really turn into somebody else. Um, so it helped me kind of just develop, uh, like, just traits that, that helped me moving forward is 
far as just like being real observant, um, just being patient, not really needing to be in the in the, the limelight or stuff and kind of just sitting back and being more chill. Um, so I, I feel like that was mainly my development through high school. It, a lot of it ain't happened in school, bro. Like I kind of, I slept in classes. Um, I had good grades because I mean, you high school not really that hard if you ain't got other shit distracting you. Mm-hmm. But I, I wasn't really uh, social, social in high school the way most people are. And that was gonna be my next question that you um answer. How did you avoid all the drama? Cause like like you said, if you go to you go to Norcom, you understand. Like you said, you have Oats versus Prentice, but at the same time, you got the Oat. I mean, not the Oats, but you got downtown. Downtown and Capital Mountain. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And I just, I mean, my grandma, my grandma lived in Capital Mountain. My mama from Capital Mountain, so I, I always like. I, I spent time in Cavalier Mountain growing up and like I went now I'm from Adababa. So when Adababa got torn down, people got split up everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of people from downtown too. Um but I won't in it. I just I won't I won't involved in it. Of course I knew everything that was going on. When you see the fights and, and all of this, but I won't really on either side. And nobody from London Notes went to Norcom. So that whole London Notes apprenticeship won't won't name. everybody from London Notes, even though Norcom is in walking distance. Everybody from London Oaks was busted church. Yeah. So that shit was kind of non-existent there. But yeah, bro, I just kind of, you know, I I stayed to myself. Um, I knew, I knew a lot of people. A lot of people knew me, but, and I was cool with everybody. I ain't never had no problems with nobody in school because I was just chill. Mind my own business, do my own thing. I ain't even hang with, like, the niggas I hung with growing up throughout High school that lived in uh, the neighborhood I lived in, like, ain't even hang with these niggas in high in school. Nigga, I just didn't like school, to be honest. I go there, I, <laughs> I sleep when I could, I get out. Like, I ain't even really go my senior year because I had enough credits. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, my only class was, like, auto shop. And I could drive there, take that <laughs> class. Yeah, and leave. Like, I was mm-hmm. over, bro. I ain't, even, I ain't even go to prom. So, what's next? Like, you about to graduate, what's your mindset going like? What what are you looking at now? I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Like I never had I never knew what I wanted to do, but I knew I could hustle. Not as far as selling drugs. Like mm-hmm. I ain't never really wanna do that just cause my perspective on that was a little different than everybody else. Like my daddy hustled, like my daddy showed me how to cook crap when I was like eleven. It was yeah. like, yo, you gotta do what you gotta do to feed your family. But then I look back at him and I'm like, this ain't where I want to be when I'm his age. My daddy like 50 at this point. I'm like, I'm not trying to be where he at. And then I look at all the other people I see hustling. It's like, nobody really wins. Yeah. Like nobody gets out. I knew this one dude, a friend of my mom's who, who was a big hustler. They told me, but to me, he was a businessman. Cause this nigga had like a sub shop. He had like a, uh, uh, um, like a landscaping company. Cause I guess he put his money in that. So I was yeah. like, that's dope. The way, you know what I mean? He an entrepreneur. And I worked at a pawn shop for like six years, um, London Pond and Deep Creek Pond. And I would sell their stuff on eBay and sell their stuff at the flea markets on the weekends. And they would always tell me like, yo, if you could get, somehow if you can get $50,000, we'll open up another pawn shop with you. So I was always trying to think of ways to flip money, but I ain't really had no like passion driven ambition to do anything besides entrepreneurial type stuff. So coming out of college, I was like, I'm gonna go to school in the meantime, just to try to learn what I can until I figure out what it is I wanna do. And the only thing I'm interested in is business. So I'll go and just major in some type of business. And I wanted to go to Penn State, just cause I don't know, for some reason, Penn State just stood out as like a real dope school. Um, and then I got the statement that would tell me how much Penn State would cost. I was like, man, I can't afford this shit. So <laughs> at this point, I hadn't applied for no other school. Um, but I knew if I applied for ODU, I could just drop my papers off. I ain't had to go, like, um, mail them because yeah. I was on my deadline. So I was like, fuck it. I'm going to just go take this shit over to ODU and see if they accept me. And they did. And I ended up going there. All right. All right, so you there. And I, I think I think most people who – um got that hustler mindset when you go to college man you be like yo i'm a major in business i'm gonna get my own business um, mm-hmm. i'm gonna be my own boss 
was that the mindset that you went in? Yeah, I, I didn't even feel like I needed the degree because I was like, I'm gonna be my own boss. I'm gonna just learn what I can that could help me in my own, like in my business. Um, Cause in my mind, I know I could flip shit. Like I done flip cars, I done flip shoes, I done sold tools, like whatever I can get, I can sell it. Um, so that was just my mindset. I'm gonna get there, learn what I can in the meantime. And uh, when I can get some shit going, I'm gonna go. I'm not even worried about a degree. Mm -hmm. um, but when I got there, uh, at this point, so when I graduated, I was like five, six. By the time I started college, I was like five, 11. So uh, like that was a big summer mm -hmm. and my focus was off, bro. Like when I was in college, I don't know how many freshman years I had. Like I dropped out the first year. <laughs> I dropped out the first year, moved to Ohio. I was in Ohio like selling weed. Mm -hmm. End up coming back. Um, I'm like, yo, this ain't it. End up coming back. And my mom was like, yo, you staying here, you gotta go back to school. So I ended up going back to school. Um, I took so many classes off because I was failing because my focus was just off that I was still a freshman the next year I went back. So the next year I'm in school and at this point in school, I'm not talking to nobody because it's just like the culture of Portsmouth is so different than everywhere else. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I could relate to nobody at ODU because most of the people at ODU was from BC. Like they dress different. They wear like New Balances, tube socks and shorts. And I'm walking around with two chains on and a Nietzsche sweatsuit, Rockaway yeah. and shit. And they looking at me like, this nigga dressed like he part of D4L. And I'm looking at him like, yo, these niggas like, I ain't fucking with them. And I ain't know how to talk to like white girls or girls that talk proper. I felt like they was like, quote unquote, good girls and I'd be intimidated. Then. So it was just kind of weird those first couple of years. I would always just come back home and go kick it with my niggas from, from Portsmouth and we'll go. I would just live a life as if I didn't go to college. Mm -hmm. I was not on campus. And then that third year I went back, I met a homie in, in college who was from Newport News. And I met all his friends from Newport News who was a little, Newport News a little closer to Portsmouth than, yeah. than a lot of other places. So they kind of opened me up on campus and I became more uh, social on campus and learned how to just speak to a lot, talk to a lot of different type of people. Um, but that year, I ended up getting locked up in, in Georgia. So I was going to spring break and got pulled over and the cops, I don't know if they planted some shit or my homie just bought the car. So some shit stashed away, I know it won't mind. And um, so we get locked up in Georgia. So I lose that semester. I finally go back to school. Mind you, it's like the fourth year I didn't try to go to school. Um, yeah. And it's like, man, my focus ain't really on school. I'm drinking, I'm partying. I'm, all this, that, and the other. And uh, up until I left, I really ain't get too much out of school outside of, you know, finding acting. You going through all this, man. Was, was it just you and the mindset or was it the mindset of being brought up in Portsmouth that kind of was hard to transition to that college life, adulthood? Yeah, um, part of it was just not being around a lot of different type of people. Because mm -hmm. when you're in Portsmouth, a lot of people, it's, it's like a lot of the same. So I didn't really know how to operate around different people from different races and different areas. So I was kind of, it's like when a nigga get out of prison and they kind of got shell shock and they don't really know how to talk to you. And that's how I felt when I was in college. But I was so confident and proud of being from Portsmouth. I felt like we was better than anybody else. Like, I always had that confidence coming from Portsmouth. So I didn't feel inferior to everybody else. I just felt different. Yeah. Um, but coming up from Portsmouth, I feel like it gave me drive that's, that's different. Like, we proud, bro. Whenever we talk to each other, it's always like Portsmouth pride. Um, everybody from Portsmouth proud of being from Portsmouth. And I, and I always was. I felt like it gave me a different edge on the competition just because I was a little tougher and I grew up somewhere that's a little different where we had to, you know, we had to be strong to really make it out and survive. So it, it gave me that confidence, but it also uh, gave me social insecurities just because I felt just like the eyeball off when I was around people in the school. Yeah. So you're in college, you're going through the stuff, you get out. At what point do you decide to pursue the acting career? 
So I don't know what year it was. Like I said, I, I did a freshman year a couple times. I think it might have been the second time around. I was I would eat off of the refund checks. So I made sure I uh get enough classes that fit into my curriculum or just get enough classes on, on my schedule so I can get my refund check. And I waited so late to sign up for classes. A lot of my business classes weren't available anymore, but acting uh, acting class was available. Mm-hmm. So I said, let me let me take this. Uh, this is fun. I always felt like I, I could act. You know, everybody felt like they could act. Um, I used to shoot little videos on like my PlayStation iToy when I was a kid. I was like, yeah, this, this could be fun. So I started taking the class and I realized I was excelling. Like I was better than a lot of the other people in class. So I come up and do like my scene or whatever and people take out their phones and they start recording. And I'm like, damn, I'm actually good at this. And I had never really, outside of just business and hustling, I was never the best at anything. I'd be cool, I'd be good, but I was never like the best. But in this, I felt like I had a potential to really do that. And my teacher encouraged me. She was, she wrote it on one of my papers and was like, if this is something you want to do, you should really pursue it because I think you have potential. So at this point, I was like, yo, I like this more than anything else I've probably done as far as school. And I had never had ambitions as a, a career ambitions. Like, I never wanted to be a doctor, a lawyer. I never wanted to be a pro athlete, uh, none of that stuff. I never just knew. But this acting, I was like, yo, I actually think I want to do this. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I um, I found a teacher. Um, her, uh, her name is Mimi Osmond. Um, rest in peace. She, she passed away not too long ago. But she toured in Virginia Beach. So I signed up for her classes. And I just started taking classes. A lot of the times, it'll just be me and a whole bunch of like little teenagers that want to do Disney Channel stuff. And so I was still kind of the eyeball out, but part of acting is coming out of your cell and you do different activities that kind of open you up and you've got to find confidence in yourself to be yourself. And that's a big part of acting. So as I'm taking the classes, I'm kind of opening up a little bit, um, but I just really enjoy it. It got to the point where like, it'd be times where I really can't afford the class, but the teacher would be like, yo, I'm gonna still, you know, I'm gonna still coach you. Just when you get to the Oscars, invite me, like you got to bring me with you. So just stuff like that, that was encouraging me and giving me the confidence. And I had a, she had a friend who ran like an agency through Facebook and I started working with her and going to like auditions and stuff like that. And it was coming slow, but it wasn't really going anywhere. Like I would do stuff like for the 700 club where I'm just doing a reenactment. Like a lady talking about her trials and tribulations and then it flashed back and it's like a guy walking down the street that wave at her or some shit like not really things that's demanding of an actor and I thought to myself like if I if I'm ever gonna really do this I gotta leave like I gotta I gotta go to LA that's where that's where it's at so I told a few people I wanted to do it and ain't nobody really know I was in classes so it was just like what you want to <laughs> you want to do what like in Portland we don't know no actors and know anybody who ever knew an actor mm-hmm. so it was just kind of real far-fetched so I kind of just kept it to myself um, but I was like yo if I could save up enough money I'm gonna go and I'm gonna I'm gonna just move to LA. Fuck it, I'm gonna move to LA. Ain't got nothing to lose. Like if I can survive in Portland, if I can survive anywhere. And I was pretty independent on my own um, there too. Like I always had my own place, knew how to make money. So I was like, all right, I, I think I'll be all right if I could save up enough money. And then when I got locked up, like I said before, I was in jail just thinking like, damn, I feel like I'm doing things right. I'm in college. I'm not a bad guy. I'm not committing crimes. I'm not selling drugs. I'm not robbing people. And I still end up in jail. It's yeah. like shit, you can go so right and shit still go wrong for you. In that case, you might as well put all your chips in. If you're going to lose anyway, you might as well risk it on some shit that you really want. So I was like, yo, if I get out of this situation, um, I'm, I'm out. I'm going to get out of here. So I ended up getting out. I was on like, um, I was on bond for like a year. So I had to check in with all these people. So I was kind of stuck. Um, same time I started back going to school and I just started putting a plan together to move to LA. I had a cousin, my cousin from Ohio, um, who I had moved with when I went to Ohio. He knew an actress named Gabrielle Dennis, who was in LA. She was like on the game and a few other things. She played Whitney Houston in that new Bobby Brown uh, BT joint. Okay. Um, but at the time, she had she did the game in like a lot of commercials 
and my cousin got on the line for me. And I was in Marsh Landing at the time. I lived in Marsh Landing. I remember sitting on the back of the steps and talking to her for like an hour. And she was like, half the battle with LA, just get into LA. I'm like, that's half the battle? That's easy shit. If I could do that, I could figure out the other half. So I just started uh, like saving up. I sold my car. I sold most of the stuff I got just to get enough money to move to LA. And um, I think it was, I don't know what year in college it was. I, I don't know. I, I left though. Like uh, after the first semester, I left and moved to LA. That's that's tough right there because you going, it ain't like you moving to the next state. Like you going across the whole US. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, so that's that's tough. And I've been to LA last year and it's a, it's a different atmosphere there. Yeah. It's a whole totally different vibe out there. So, mm -hmm. so what's that like? What's the transition from Portsmouth to LA now? Is it still pre-Vine, right? Yeah, it's still pre-Vine. All right, so yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about the transition from pre-Vine to the Vine. So, I moved to LA to pursue acting. The transition wasn't that bad because. Like I said, at ODU, I felt so out of place for so long. But then when I started hanging with the homies from Newport News, it opened me up to be more social. Mm -hmm. And I realized people are just people. You might talk with a different diction or you might be from somewhere else, but we all the same in the sense of how to talk to one another. And we all got wants and needs and fears and all of this stuff. So it opened me up to be more, more diverse and how to just code switch and talk to different people different ways. Like if I talk to you, I, I could relate to you and then, you know, be talking to a white guy and and not to say conform to him, but speak in a way where he understands what I'm saying, but also can relate to what I'm saying, but still be enough of the same nigga from Portion where they trying to assimilate and still be cool type, but just kind of code switching and, and, and being able to uh, be more diverse and, and converse with, with different people. So when I moved to LA, it wasn't that hard. And plus, I didn't really know anybody anyway. I, I was just working odd jobs, and most of the time I was around Mexicans, which I had no idea how Mexicans was because we ain't really got none in Portsmouth. Oh. Like, I, I, I knew nothing about a Mexican community. I didn't know what a Mexican family looked like outside of, like, cholos you see on next Friday. Mm -hmm. So it was like, this is a whole other culture I had never seen before, but I was kind of just open to really learn and, you know, treat them as if, you know, they, they people like anybody else, you know what I mean? Just go in open willing to learn and, and not judgmental and it was cool Mexican people the most chill people ever I learned um, but transitioning as far as uh, being comfortable and a cultural transition it wasn't that bad because like I said I went through all of those I went through that that um, I went through that in college um, I guess the main adjustment was just like being able to pay my bills mm-hmm if I say that like six grand, I thought that was enough. Like six grand in Virginia, I mean, Portsmouth, you got money. Like you got you a nice car, you got you an LS or something. I had a little cat, uh, uh, Lincoln LS. I was cool. Like I stayed in Marshland, I was in the hood, so I rent on them like $300. Um, but in LA, it's a different story. Yeah. Man, my rent, my, I had a studio apartment, which is just one room. And that shit was like $1,100 a month. So after putting down the down payment the first month rent and then, you know, the plane ticket, the rental car, like getting a food time for the crib, a little TV or something, I was almost out of money in the first month. So every day I'm just beating the pavement trying to find a job. Like I done made up a fake uh, resume. I'm, I'm doing waiter jobs. I'm being a bartender. I'm doing sales jobs. I'm handing out sample drinks at uh, grocery stores. I'm working at Victoria's Secret. Like, I'm doing whatever I can to make money. Um, and in the meantime, also trying to go to auditions. So it's like my schedule is nonstop. I ain't got no time to really even think about what's going on. I'm just going nonstop. And um, maybe six, seven months in, I, I book a commercial. I self-submitted myself to it. I'm, I'm logged on and got accounts on all these different sites. So I'm submitting myself every day, going to whatever audition I can between work and I book a Nike commercial. And those checks came in, it was like 12 grand. And I was like, oh, I'm rich. Like, I'm good. 12 grand. And I thought I was going to get the same check. Um, see, they got cycles in commercials. So sometimes you get three cycles. Mm -hmm. And you'll get the same amount of money each cycle. I thought I was going to do it, but it didn't. I got the one cycle and that was it. And I spent most of that money on a car. Because I had a car, I used to ride a bicycle. 
So I was back broke again, doing the same jobs, looking for commercials. And um, at this point, I'm like, maybe two years in, I got a homie that moved out, uh, Glenn. You remember Lil Glenn? Yeah. Yeah, Glenn had moved out to LA with me. Um, and then I had two of my homies, the ones I went to college with, they ended up moving out here too, because they came out here to visit, and I had them crash a commercial with me, a basketball audition, and they ended up booking it. So they go on one audition, book it, so they like, yo, LA is easy, like, this <laughs> is a PC, this is cheat code. So they go home, get themselves in position to move out. And I know it ain't like that, but I'm like, shit, y'all move out, it's gonna be easy for me. And I got homies here and there, so they end up moving out and they ain't really booked shit else for like a year. So they end up going back home. Um, but it's like four of us in a two bedroom apartment, like some hood shit. Uh, the, the AC that's in the, in the window type shit, hot as fuck in the summer, you gotta leave the house. Um, anyway, I see Vaughn. Matter of fact, before I see Vaughn, I do this movie. It's this low-budget movie called Cleveland Family Reunion. And okay. um, some people saw it because it was on Netflix before Netflix is what it is now. Yeah, I see yeah, the house of that shit. So yeah. people was like, yo, he in a movie. And I was excited, but I only got paid like $500 for the movie. So I'm like, I'm still broke. And um, it was this girl. She was from Newport News. And she had hit me, and she was like, yo, I love what you're doing. You in movies. You did a couple commercials. I wish I could do stuff like that. And But she had a baby, and she was in Newport News. I was like, shit, you could do stuff online, like Vine or something. Vine popping, do that. And at this time, Vine had just started, but I ain't, I ain't never do it. I just knew it was a, you know, it was something you could do. And it was just kind of me making conversation. Mm -hmm. And she was like, all right. So she started doing it, and her shit was blowing up. Like her shit was really blowing up. Her name was uh Damn D Rose. Um okay. so her shit was blowing up. And I remember talking to her and she was like, yo, uh Klondike just paid me six grand to do a, a video. I was like, what? Like, mind you, I'm broke, bro. Like, I'm broke. I said, they paid you six grand for a video. She was like, yeah. I was like, okay, okay. And then aside from that, in LA, you need an agent. Mm-hmm. But whenever I go in and meet with an agent, they say in order for them to sign me, I need credits, which means I worked on something like a TV show or something. Yeah. But I can't get the TV show auditions without an agent. So it's like, to get an agent, I need TV shows. But to get TV shows, I need an agent. Like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> how, how am I supposed to do this? And yeah. I seen, and I used to, I used to follow Lil Romeo on, uh, Romeo Miller on Instagram, and this nigga was always on set. I'm like, yeah. how is he always working? I was like, bro, it gotta be because he's famous. Like, it gotta be because he's famous. That's like the hater in me trying to find a reason why another another, another person winning, but I found motivation in the two. I'm like, okay, it's because he's famous. I gotta get famous. I gotta get yeah. famous somehow. And then I'm like, mine is the answer to both of these. I can make some money and then I could get famous on it. Like, King Batch had like a million followers already. I'm like, all mm -hmm. right, this is what I'm gonna do. So, I just started storyboarding, which means you draw each scene in segments. Um, so it'd be like six squares, and each scene you draw out what it looked like. So I started storyboarding mine, like 15, 20, I'm just writing ideas. I started looking at other people's stuff and reverse engineering. It was like, okay, why is this funny? Okay, they, they, they set it up, and then they did a punch. They set some up, and then went completely left field. Okay, they did something that was a shock factor. So I started teaching myself all the different formats of comedy, because like, I was never funny. I was never yeah. the funny guy. Like, I ain't never tell jokes in my family. Everybody funny except for me. Like, I think I was never funny. <laughs> <laughs> short story, long story short. So I had to teach myself the short form comedy online. And another thing that drew me to it was you can only shoot on your phone, you couldn't edit. So it wasn't based on resources because anything else, somebody with a whole lot more resources could beat you out because you ain't got nothing. But on this, you could only use your phone, so it was an even playing field. So I'm like, the only thing that's separating from me being great on this um, and me being trash is my creativity and the time and effort I put into it. So mm -hmm. I just started, I started going hard at it. And like the first week I got like, my first video I shot was me and Lil Glenn, we shot it and this shit got on Worldstar. Okay. I was like, all right, I got something. And which video was and that? It was like, light skin versus dark skin or something like that. It was like, right. the girl was fussing at me. I had on a button up and I was just like real passive. And then 
I like went Super Saiyan and I turned to Glenn, you know, dark skin with dreads. He was like, shut the fuck up, bitch. And she like sat down or something like that. Um, so that went on World Star and I was like, all right, I think I got something. And mind you, leading up to this, from everything I just said, I never went really hard at anything because it was nothing I really felt like I was passionate. Mm-hmm. I, was, I, I didn't have a passion for anything. And um, I feel like that's where a lot of people fall short. If you ain't passionate about something, you ain't gonna put your all into it. So up until this, I never really put my all into anything, no sports, no nothing, no school, because I, I ain't have a passion for it. But at this point, I'm like, yo, I got, I really love this shit right here. So this could work. So I just wrote for two years straight. All I did was shoot videos. I would write videos constantly. I started thinking in like six second formats. Whenever a situation happened, I'm like, okay, how can I shoot this in six seconds? It got to the point, I was like, okay, this shot could be 0.4 seconds. This is 0.3, this is 0.9, and I could do 1.4 for that second. That's gonna take me to boom, 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 boom. This will take me to six points. Like it, it, mm-hmm. it became like, science to me, you know what I mean? But but second nature. Yeah. Um, it was the point where we was uploading videos, we had to hack the system just to put up an edited video, but it was like, I could do it like that. And um, just kind of putting my everything into it. But in the back of my mind, I always knew I came out here to act. I don't want to be a social media star, line star. It's cool, but I was doing this to help me get in a position to get an agency or to help me get in a position where I'm financially uh, stable enough to really go on auditions and not have to work, not have to work all these high-end jobs. So always being mindful of that, I tried to, early on, I tried to do characters and do a lot of different characters. So you could really couldn't pinpoint who Melvin was. It's like all these different weird type of characters. So if you see me be myself, you're not laughing at anything I do. So when I do transition over to acting, I'm not looked at as like this clown. So that's how I was that's how I was looking at it at the point when I was doing all these characters and shit and and just trying to find ways to reinvent myself and to be creative and unique on the platform. And you know, over time I became famous on Vine and you know, making money on that. And then that transition to Instagram and Facebook and whatever platform was out at the time. I don't think people realize how hard it is to make a six second segment. Bro, people, I think people realize a little bit more, but they still don't know. So six seconds is hard, bro. Mm. And it's not even just creating it good. You got to be able to market it. I had, a, I, I created like this whole system of like cross posting through vinyls, through like out of, with a team and never been done before. I figured out how to do that shit and it helped me blow up. But then the Vine, they switched up how you could share posts just to kind of prevent from what I was doing. Um, so it's like being able to maximize your exposure, but aside from that, being able to create the content. And now if you look, online comedy is, is saturated, everybody does it. But at this point, nobody was doing it. Like it wasn't cool. Like I, I asked my homies from Newport News to help me. They were like, man, that shit corny, we not doing that. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't cool, but now everybody's doing it. So I feel like a lot of people realize it's tougher than what they think, but six seconds was, six seconds was even harder. Like a lot of the people that became Instagram famous, yeah, they tried Vine, but they never popped because six seconds is just like, you got, it's just straight jokes. It's straight jokes. There's no setup. There's no like long pauses, no like, it's, it's six seconds, bro. It's short. It's, you got to be quick and precise. Um, and then a lot of people, is it worked both ways. A lot of people that did Vine, once they got a minute on Instagram, they couldn't fill up the minute and be funny the whole time. So it's always uh, niche talents that could that could help you blow up on a social media site and that could also hinder you on the next. But um, it's, it's tough, bro. I don't even know if I could do it if I had to go back and do six seconds again. It would take a while for me to train my brain to do it. During this time, were you going home? Were you still uh, coming back home at times? Yeah, yeah. I, at first, I had braces when I first moved to L.A. I was mm-hmm. trying to do everything to get on. I was like, I got to straighten my teeth out to be active. So I went back. I had to go back at least three times, just the three times a year to tighten them up. I did that for like yeah. a year, and then I was like, just take them off. But it was also a reason for me to go home. Um, but yeah, I will go home maybe like two times a year just because the ticket's expensive, bro. It's like uh, $700. Yeah. Back and forth, and I was broke. 
you go back home and the, the few times you go home, what did you realize the difference from when you was there and now you just visiting? Meaning like the mindset of like your right. friends, your family. What yeah. did you notice with that? I just felt I didn't have hope when I went home. Like in LA, you got hope because you know the opportunity there. It's just up to you to really go out and get it. Yeah. But in Portsmouth, I feel like I ain't got no hope here. Like it's nothing I could do here. It's like, it's just hopeless, I felt like. And even when I go back home now, it's like everything feels so out of reach. Like, I could be in L.A. and I hear Chris Brown hosting a club in L.A., in Hollywood. I'm like, oh, I could easily just pull up. You know what I mean? Like, success is in arm's reach. Even people that are successful is in arm's reach, so it kind of give you motivation. Um, but in Portland, it's like, nigga, that's, that's so far away. That's like another world. It's like looking at it through a TV screen or through a, a window or a jail cell. That's how I felt when I went home as far as opportunity. Like it, was, it wasn't attainable. Um, and now I look at it a little different when I go back home. But early on, that's, that's how I felt. But it will also motivate me. When I go home and come back, I go harder when I get back. Yeah. I go, I go way harder. All right. So at this point, man, we done talked about high school college pre-vine um now let's talk about you starting to get more acne roles so maybe like three years into the vine the whole time i'm still trying to do both i'm trying to audition but also do social media but this time i'm huge on social media right but there's a stigma towards social media stars and vine stars Mm -hmm. Because anybody could be a social media star. You could like do pranks and be a social media star or a Vine star. You could do cooking challenges. It's like, it's not always based on the same things that, um, that are parallel to acting. It's not always creative things. It's not always creating a scene, you know, being a character. So Vine star or social media star accomplishes so many things that when a studio or, um, Anybody here at Vine Star, their perception is it could be anything. It could be like, you know, somebody who smack people or somebody who do pranks. So they're not necessarily they're not necessarily inviting of of this stigma of people into their production because they feel like whatever they're doing is gonna lose prestige. Like they got vine stars in a movie. Like if you see a movie with all these like viners, you're not gonna see it as a real movie. So that's something I kind of had uh, to fight against going into acting, I, I realized this too, but I knew at the same time, this was how I was eating. So um, I kept doing it, I kept doing it, and I was still trying to dance on both sides of the line, do acting and do social media, but none of the acting stuff I got was like legit, nothing was cracking. I was just like, it was always, the, they cast me to, they cast me because they just want me to promote the project on my vine. Or I'm playing this stereotypical character who's like goofy for like a kid audience, like some Disney shit. And I was like, yo, I'm not happy. It got to a point, I think it was late 2017. I had a, I, I got a production studio. I built out a production studio, like 4,000 square feet. I was doing my own shows and social media stuff. And I was making more money I ever made. I had the number one fastest growing channel on Facebook. I was getting 100 million views a week. Like everything that you would... Uh, you would coin a success uh, as far as social media, but I was depressed, bro. I was not happy at all. And like, I see the money hit my account and I just wouldn't care. I see the views and numbers and I just wouldn't care. And I was like, yo, this isn't, this isn't it. This is not why I'm doing it. And at that point I was like, bro, no more social media. This is the end of 2017. I was like, I'm done, bro. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I ain't doing nothing else. Stop all of my income. My page started from that day forward. I started losing followers. And I was like, fuck it. I just got to focus on what I'm, I really want to do. The same way I left what I thought. When I thought I had it all in Virginia, when I had a nice car, I had a little bit of money in my account. I was in school. I had girls, this, that, and the other. I left it all to move to LA to pursue something different. Now I'm doing the same thing with social media, but on a bigger scale. It's like I got all of this, all that I thought I wanted, but it's not what I really came for. So I got to leave it all behind and just jump out and take a risk of doing what I really want to do. And um, that's when I just stopped doing all that shit and I just like full time put all my focus towards acting and auditioning. And that same month I booked 
uh, High Flying Bird, which was a Netflix movie, but with an Oscar-winning director mm. and and an Oscar-winning writer. And I booked American Vandal, which was a show I thought was hella funny. It was a Netflix show, so I was like, shit, I'd be happy to do that too. So I booked both of these that first month that I stopped social media. So I was like, yo, this is it. Like, I'm happy. I booked this shit and I feel thrilled. Like, I'm on set enjoying everything. I'm not getting paid as much as I did before, but fuck it, I'm happy. So from yeah. that, that from that moment forward, I just focused solely on on uh on acting stuff and I've been able to consistently work. But if you look at my social media, you might say I fell off or I stopped or I don't know how people perceive it. Um but I just stopped. Like I stopped doing sketches altogether. And sometimes of course I get like feel missing out because I see people blowing up and posting viral videos. And I'm like, I know I can do that. Like, I did that for years. Like, that's easy. Mm -hmm. I did that first. But I'm like, nah, that ain't what I'm trying to do. That ain't my focus right now. Let me just let that be. Let me just not even pay no attention to it and just focus on this audition I got right here, maybe. So it was just me redirecting all of my focus and passion towards what it is I want and just going at it full throttle. And I've been able to, you know, consistently work and be in a position now where people starting to see me as an actor and respect me as an actor rather than just a nigga from Vine. Yeah. Is it true that High Flying Birds was really um, made on an iPhone? Yeah, we shot the whole thing on the iPhone. Well, that shit had me sick, man. Like, mind you, the first thing I booked was quitting social media. I show up, I'm in New York. I show up the set and... I'm thinking in my mind, the director, he did like uh, Aaron Brockovich, he did all the uh, Ocean's 11s, Ocean 12s. So I'm watching Ocean's 11, I'm like, bro, I'm about to be on this bitch like Brad Pitt, like yeah. George Clooney, this it. And then I saw the set and I seen him with the iPhone. I'm like, I can't escape this. Like, <laughs> nigga, is this my destiny to be an iPhone actor? So at first I was kind of, I was kind of, uh, I was kind of like bummed out about the situation. But then I, I just had to reevaluate it and look at it from a different perspective. I'm like, all right, it's still an opportunity. And shit, looking at it now, I'm more experienced in front of this camera, in front of this iPhone than any other actor on this set. So it's like, I need to just own it, claim it, learn what I can from the situation, and also realize that there's an opportunity for me to see that I can't limit myself based um, because of a lack of resources. If you could shoot an entire movie on an iPhone, which everybody has, there's no excuse for me to go out and create my own shit or to feel like I'm, I'm hindered. So I just try to find a silver lining in the situation, but it turned out great because it being shot on an iPhone just helped market a project and show people, like I was saying, that you don't need all these big tricks and cameras and all of this shit to shoot a movie and uh, actually hold people's attention. And the movie turned out great. So it was a, it was a dope experience. I like, the, yeah. I like the high school movie with the prank with the shit. Yeah, American But Snowfall is by far my favorite role that I seen you in. How how did that come up? Was was you there when John Singleton was still alive? Yeah, yeah, I was. And I get so much love for Snowfall when I come home. I love it, bro. Like before I was Vine famous, niggas don't really care about that. They were like, man, that shit corny. Like yeah. I get home and I is it's back to the real world where it's like, man, we don't care about that. Um, but snowfall, I come home after snowfall, niggas are like, oh yeah, it's just a different reaction and a different energy. Um, but I always wanted to play like a villain type character. Cause like, I know I can, like coming from Portsmouth, I don't know what a lot of these studios look for when they look for like this type of character, this hood character, like I could do it. Like that's all I grew up around. Like, I mean, it's, it's different. You could be the nicest guy in Portsmouth and they could be, pull that off and be harder mm -hmm. than pretty much anybody else from a lot of other places. But because of like I'm light-skinned or whatever it is, I always get like these roles where it's not who I am at all. I've never been anywhere close to who I am. So I have to double act. And I'm like, I'm not the best guy for this job. I just looked apart. I was like, but if I can get something closer to some shit that I'm familiar with, I could really shine. Um, but I just never really got the opportunities. And when I, and Snowfall had became, it had become one of my favorite shows. Um, I had started watching it and just fell in love with the show. And I told my agents, I'm like, yo, I really don't like doing TV, but if I could get on Snowfall, like that's, that's the one show I want to do. And my agent was able to get me an audition. And at first I'm like, it's probably gonna be like some little small bullshit role. And I looked at the breakdown 
and all of the traits, I'm like, yo, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, nigga, I can do it. This is it. Like, mm-hmm. this is a character I would love to do. So I just, you know what I mean, did my thing as far as prepping and breaking the scene down and creating the character. And I went in for the first audition. And everybody, usually your first audition would just be you and like a casting associate, which isn't a casting director, it's like an assistant. And they just record you on a little flip camera. And then you gotta keep coming back, coming back. This time I go in, it's like 10 people. Is the the director of the episode, John Singleton, the showrunners, the producers, the head of casting, everybody in the office. So I'm like, all right, fuck it. Um, and we just started doing the scene. And the first time I did the scene, I did it like the man boy that you see on TV, like kind of joking, kind of like sly, not really taking that serious. And um it was like the stakes are a little higher with this scene. We need you to um, just realize the stakes in the scene. You know, it's not so not so lazadaisical about this shit. It's, it's not joking around because these people could kill you at any time. So I did it the way they wanted me to do it. Um, did it again. They gave me another adjustment. John Singleton talked to me about the action for a minute. He was like, oh, I like what you did with the, the, the Cali action. And mind you, before I did... I did that movie that just came out, um, The Way Back, the Ben Affleck movie. Mm-hmm. I did this I did this before Snowfall, and I had met the main actor from Snowfall, Dabs and Idris, who's British. And I'm like, yo, this nigga accent is impeccable, and he's British. And I ran into him and met him in London, and I had hit him. I'm like, bro, how do you do this, this Cali accent? Because my character in The Way Back was from Long Beach. So he told me, it was like a lot of it is like a sudden twang, and he just gave me a, a couple pointers. So when I went in and do the audition in Snowfall, I'm like, where I'm from in Virginia is the South. Like, I already got the Southern Twain, so I could just incorporate a few of these little things in here and make it make sense. And John Singleton loved it. And he, I think he was the main one that fought for me to get that role because he said I reminded him of people that he grew up around, um, the way I did the whole scene and everything else. And I could tell that he was the one that was gravitating more towards me. And I ended up just getting a call they ain't have to come back in or nothing. It was like, boom, they're going to give you a role. And um, I credit that to John Singleton because I know if it was just those those white people in there, they would have wanted the stereotypical bad guy. Uh, usually it's just like a gritty looking, like dark skinned dude or something. Like that's just mm-hmm. usually what Hollywood go for. Um, but John fought for me to get that part, I believe, and what he told me later on and, and just how he was encouraging me. Um, that he got that part for me. And I mean, from there, it was just, you know, get to work, do what you gotta do. And I was, John was there for the first seven episodes, first six episodes um, before he passed away. So I definitely had a chance to build a relationship with him, uh, kick it with him, learn from him, uh, just be motivated by him, all of that, um, until, he, until he passed away. Being in the acting game, man, has there been any actor, celebrity, I'm going to say, that, like, left you speechless? Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, Will Smith. Mm-hmm. I did, a, uh, I did when I was just doing, like, extra work type stuff. I was doing, I was an extra in the sketch for Jimmy Kimmel, so I just played a basketball player. I get cast as a basketball player so much, and they ain't hoop at all in school. But anyway, <laughs> um, I, uh, I was a basketball player, and... Will Smith was playing this blind referee in the sketch. And he came in and they had me stand in his position and, and his spot, cause like we the same complexion and the same height. So they was getting his lighting ready using me. And he came and stepped in. He was like, oh, I'll take it from here. He was like, oh, Will, nice to meet you. And I was just like, yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> ain't nobody say, bro. It was like his presence or everything, his aura just when he walked in was just like, yo, I really used to want to be this guy. Like watching Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, I really wanted to be Will Smith. Um, so that was crazy. Hold on, anybody. And then it'd be weird people. Like I saw Debo in the gym and I was like, yo, fuck, that's Debo. Cause I used to yeah. love Friday. Like, you know what I mean? So uh other big celebrities, nobody really left me speechless. I would <laughs> think it's embarrassing to admit. Uh so Trey Songs used to always show me love on like Instagram and stuff, and he knew I was from the crib. 
And I seen I seen this nigga in a uh, bowling alley. First time I really got to chop it up with him. I hadn't really met him, but he was always showing love. And I was like, oh, I don't know what to say to this. You know how you be when you... I was just like, man, I don't know what to say to this nigga rather than just treat him like a person. I'm saying, thinking like, in my mind, doing the conversation, like, yo, should I say this? Should I say that? And it was just hella weird because it's a dude. But it was just like, hell coming up, showing me love, just treating me like I'm one of the homies. I'm like, fuck. Nigga, I ain't used to no celebrity really fucking with me like this. Yeah. Um, and that nigga was fucking with me. And I was like, damn, bro, that's crazy. And he from the crib, like, that just added a different flair to it. When I met Chris Brown, he was like that, too, just showing love. He was like, yeah. Uh, he was like, let's get this picture. Like, the nigga was like, ain't even asked. And it's just kind of like that hometown-type love I, I, I got from niggas like that to kind of just uh, reassure me that I got a, a position out here. You met Trey Songs or whatever. Is there any other celebrities from Virginia? Like who supported you, you've met or anything like that? Um Chris Show Love when I met him. Like I said, Trey was the one who was like even when I was doing Vaughn, I think it's too because I used to have all the, all the little bad joints in my videos. So he, he was like, yeah, let me follow. Mm -hmm. But he always showed love. Um, like even back then, who else from Virginia? Not not nobody else really that I could pinpoint, I could think of. It might be somebody I'm just I can't think of right now. Pusha, Pusha just he uh he just tweeted me yesterday about my episode on that uh the black black AF show. So that was love because I mean from the crib, you know the clips. They right clips. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that shit. I don't think I really met nobody else from the crib like that out here. That's like big, big famous. All right. All right. So like the end off. This is a two part question. The first one. Um, when you go home, do you feel like you have to go back to like London Notes? Do you have to go to certain neighborhoods when you go back home? Nah, I don't. Um, I want to go back, and when I do go back, I want to go back with something to give. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to like I made a note to go back home when when uh when Doe did the the thing he did at Wilson. Yeah. No, I mean, I won't gonna come home. Like I hadn't planned to come home. I just happened to be there. I came home specifically for that, cause I want people to be able to see somebody from home that they, uh, somebody that's from where they from that's doing something different. And I just kind of wanted to be around my people in an event, and I want to do stuff like that on my own. I want to have stuff to give, but I just don't want to. I don't feel like, oh, I need to go back to the hood to validate myself. And, you know what I mean, like. That ain't the reason I would go. I would want to go to encourage kids and have something going on. And it's more so for like the kids and get them like inspiration to talk to them, but just let them see somebody that's from where they from do something different. And the last question. And what way or factors did Portsmouth make you the person you are today? All factors, bro. Um all factors, like a lot of who I everything that I who I am, how I talk, um, just how I perceive people, I, everything is who I am. It can't if I was from, if I went from Portsmouth, I'd be a completely different person. And it allowed me as an actor to to go different places that people don't they don't see or they wouldn't expect or uh, to be able to to pull from different situations and different experiences. A lot of times when I talk to these directors and people that's trying to do these movies, it's like a lot of what they're trying to explain in the movie. I didn't live it. In some way, fashion or another, I know somebody else who has, so I could pull from this stuff. Uh, I'm not green out here when it comes to experience. Um, and then just everything about me, bro, like how I walk, how I talk. I can't think of part of uh, a part of me that's, that's not, um, that's possibly not responsible for. There's a lot I had to learn past what I learned in Portsmouth. Um, there's a lot of shit I had to unlearn. But it, it all led me to who I am now. You know, I had a I had to kind of drop like a this toxic masculinity that I feel like I developed in Portsmouth. Um a need to talk shit all the time. Like my girl constantly tell me I talk too much shit. I had a homie when I moved out here was like, yo, like you talk too much like relax, but that's how we feel comfortable. Like your niggas, mm -hmm. you talk shit soon as soon as you see them, and it's like that's that's how we show love, but I feel like that come from not really wanting to be vulnerable and showing real love. 
we, mm-hmm. we disguise it and like, you know, shit talking and that's just like our language and we understand it. But to other people that ain't from that, it's like, like they feelings get hurt or something. So I had to kind of just, I'm still learning. <laughs> I'm still learning that. Um, but it, it, it all led to who I am. Well, man, I want to say I, I appreciate you taking your time, man, to do this, man. And any any big news, any big things coming up, man? Uh, man, I, I'm on the, the Black AF show right now. It's on Netflix. Um, I did an episode of the uh, Lil Dicky show called Day. That should be coming out in the next couple of weeks. Well, my episode, Snowfall coming back um, whenever this quarantine over. So, man, boy, back on Snowfall. Um, I got a new, I got a new Hulu show that I'm gonna start shooting um, soon, uh, which should, should be cool. But just working, bro, just grinding nonstop, head down. If they're not following you by now, where can they find you at on your social media? Everywhere, just Melvin Greg, just my name, M E L V I N G R E G G. Facebook, excuse me, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. All of that, yep. All right, man. Once again, I want to say thank you for um, coming up here and thank y'all for tuning in Surviving Portsmouth. And nigga, I came up on that Portsmouth shit. Uptown, downtown, Pistol City, we 